my favorite is probably Expect What You Accept. Ooh. I like that. Yeah. And why you so? Teach, you teach people how to treat you. So if you accept trash behavior, that's what people will give you. You, you are not giving them an incentive to do better. There's no reason for them to do better if you accept that. Create your life. Create a proper vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Und skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and today we have an amazing guest. When I say amazing, you, I'm kind of like being, I feel like I'm being too conservative with saying that. She is currently the head of business operations management uh, North America at StubHub, formerly the lead counsel for the global infrastructure development and operations inbound commercial legal team at Facebook. She's an award-winning attorney receiving the Excellence in Legal Innovation Award from the National Bar Association. Uh, she's the f- been awarded and nominated and won as 40 Under 40 from both the D- Digital Diversity Network and National Bar Associations. She's a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley. Shouts out to the Bay Area. Uh, with her bachelor's in mass communications. Uh, St. Mary's College of California has her MBA from there. And she, uh, the University of California, Los Angeles, she has her MA in African American Studies there. And the University of California Hastings College of Law. She has her Juris Doctorate. She's also very active in her community as a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, the Lynx Incorporated, and is into political organizing and fundraising at the local, state, and national level. She's an Oakland native. Again, Bay Area stand up. And she and her husband, Jamie, live in Oakland with their two children, who are seven and two years old. Beautiful people, I'm speaking of no other than Miss Bari A. Williams. Bari, please say hello to the Create Your Life Series family. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Happy to happy to come represent, especially always, always Bay Area, always town, always Cal Bears, always black people. Huh, I love it. Um, jumping right in, I'm kind of like, you're a superhero. Like, what don't you do? <laughs> <laughs> That is, uh, that is, right, and I feel like that's so important, because you, you're, you're doing this Uh, thing in corporate, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're a daughter, you're, like, man, (laughs) I I don't have the talent to do all of that stuff. Yeah, you do, sure you do. (laughs) I might need some training from you or something like that, you know, I might need some mentorship or something. Just just learn how to, well, yeah, we talk about that. Um, but just learn how to maximize uh, insomnia. That's what I do. So <laughs> I spend a lot of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do. I, learn, I spend a lot of time writing, 
and, and reading um, when I have insomnia. So perfect example, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning mm-hmm. yesterday and started reading. And then after that, um, what I was reading was kind of inspiring me to, to refine something I'd already drafted. So I, I, was, I was writing. Mm. Um, and then I got up and, and attended a conference. I was out of town attending a conference. And so I went and, and started my day. Wow. After I kind of like to look at it like I had a four-hour head start, right? So how do you use those four hours? That's real. Let me ask you this. Before we even really get into this, I've read that you're a huge sports fan. Who are your teams? Yes. Okay, I'm from Oakland. I, so first off, I want to say, because people always think this, mm-hmm. I was a Warriors fan before they got hot. I was actually I a Warriors that. intern my senior year at Cal. I was a Warriors intern when they had Antoine Jameson mm. and Danielle Marshall and a bunch of people that you can't name. Like, does anybody remember Vontigo Cummings? I remember Vontigo Cummings. And Eric Dampier? <laughs> yes. Eric Dampier was on the team when I was, a, when I was an intern. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've been down with Warriors since I was little. I am also a huge Raiders fan. My family now has, I know we're not supposed to be watching football, mm-hmm. um, but... We still support Oakland homegrown talent. So I did buy my husband and both my kids Marshawn Lynch jerseys. Okay. So, I mean, and I don't like baseball, but my husband is a huge A's fan. Baseball makes me want to take a nap. That but makes two of us. if I was a baseball us. fan, I'd like the A's. Okay. That makes two of us. I, it's just nothing there for me with baseball. <laughs> That's, it's funny because I feel like in the Bay, you, you're either one or the other. And we're sitting there talking. You're like oh, pro yeah. Oakland, everything. I was actually born in San Francisco, lived out there for a bit. So I'm like everything, like 49ers and Giants. So I love it. The rivalry is, is real. Yeah. It's yeah. real. There's really no rivalry this year. I mean, all the teams were bad. So, <laughs> I mean, nobody's, nobody's Sadly. that great. Yeah, true. Except the Warriors. Right. They'll probably repeat. So you can. You can hop on hop on that train with the rest of us. Well, I mean, I've always been a Warrior fan by default, but definitely, um, definitely have was always a bigger Kobe Bryant fan. So I'm kind of a Laker. I just like that yeah, dude's I work think ethic. We should in the conversation. Um, hmm. Hmm, is that right? Why? Because yeah, I don't really know what to do with what you just said. So. Ooh. Okay. Change the subject. Change the subject. <laughs> Kobe. Hold on, what? His work I admire, ethic. I will say, I admire, I admire, exactly, that's where I was going. I admire his work ethic. I admire his dedication and commitment to excellence. Yes. I admire how competitive he is, and I admire that he is competitive not necessarily with other people, but with himself. Yes. He wants to push himself. He's not worried about what you're doing. He's worried about what he's doing, and I appreciate that. But the problem is when you put that on a team, mm-hmm. it doesn't always work. I concur. So, you know, so that's that's kind of my thing with Kobe. Okay. Well, I just love the work ethic. All of those things that you named, yeah. that you listed. That's that's why I just I love this guy. I just love his work ethic and, and stuff. I don't know him personally. He's now so. taking all that. He's taking. I don't either. But he's now taking all of that fabulous work ethic and is now investing it um, into tech as mm-hmm. an investor and using it to to build businesses, which I think is a, a great place for him to put that because there's. I think there's no greater competition outside of sports except probably in tech right now. So that's good use of his time and his money. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him fund more uh, 
companies and, and founders of color. Soon come, soon come. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, I guess my first question for you is, is uh, with such an array of different experiences and even degrees, how, did you how do you decide which projects are jobs to actually take on? Because it seems like the world is at your fingertips at this point. So how do you decide what, what new tasks you want? Um, I think it's adding what it is that you want out of life. And for me, uh, the way that I look at that is my mother and my grandmother were, uh, were in education. So both of them were teachers and, and, and counseling until they retired. And for me, that just fostered a love of learning. So I like to think of myself as a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And the things that motivate me are what's, who, who are the people that I'm going to work with? But more than that, what are the things that I'm going to learn at mm -hmm. that at that, you know, at that company and in that particular position. And I think you also have to do your due diligence in terms of thinking of the company itself might be great, but you have to really check out your team and check out the role and the scope of the role that you're in mm. because you're, the company itself could be awesome, but your manager could be trash. Mm -hmm. And that is going to have more impact on how you view the company and your personal experience than the fact that you're that you work at a great company. Mm -hmm. So, my husband has a saying about how people leave managers, not organizations, and mm. it's very true. Wow! It's typically when people quit their jobs, they are leaving because they don't like their manager or they don't like the scope of their role. And more often than not, the scope of your role is based on who your manager is. Mm. So, I think it's it's imperative for people to think about that uh, when they sign up for something. But for me. Uh, I like to look at, you know, what am I going to learn in the role? Mm -hmm. How how great is the company? Um, and how great is the team? And, for, and personally, for me, I'm very mission-driven. Mm -hmm. And so if I can find a, a company that has a great mission that I support, I would, that's always a, a, a check in the, in the yes column. Yeah. But even more than that, if it's a product or a good or a service that I use myself, mm -hmm. that's, that's, always, that's always paramount. Because if I, if I can, I can pick out, I can pick out flaws or I can tell you how to improve it because right. I'm familiar with it and I use it. Mm. So, so, but you, you have an MBA and then you also have a, a degree in African-American studies. Why law or what, what inspired you to take that route as well? Yeah, I feel like there are lots of, uh, there are lots of people with business degrees mm -hmm. and I find that the impact of having both a business degree and a law degree, you get the best of both worlds. And you also know how to, when to use one degree and when to use the other. Mm. Um, and the thinking skills, I think, are different, uh, mm. which a lot of people don't necessarily uh, think about. Mm -hmm. And law school, the first year, it's all about training you to think like a lawyer. Right. And that's to ask questions, smart questions, how to issue spot and see when something is wrong mm -hmm. and how to poke just constantly poke holes in arguments and rationale mm -hmm. and, and really trying to look for answers. The goal is for you to be someone who's a fact finder. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I think that lawyers don't always have the answers, but we will always have all the questions. Mm. And oftentimes that leads to the answer. So for me, it was important to have that foundational knowledge, but I, I really, really like being an attorney. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's a skill set that people don't necessarily know how to harness. Mm -hmm. And particularly, I wanted to be a transactional attorney. Most black attorneys are in litigation, and they're in, even within that subset, they're mostly in employment litigation. Mm -hmm. And for me, I find that 
transactional law is so powerful because it can help you build businesses. It can help you make alliances. It's how you actually create things. So the type of law that I practice is constructive, mm-hmm. whereas litigation is more destructive mm. because there's a winner and a loser. And if you're doing transactional law correctly, everybody wins. Got you. And it's all it's all about the team winning. Yeah. Um, so when you got your MBA prior to getting your your MBA and your MA prior to getting your JD, correct? Mm-hmm. What was that? What was the time difference in between those two? Um, I mean, in between those three, like what did that trajectory look like for you? Yeah. So I graduated from Berkeley a year early. Okay. Um, so for me, um, I, I really enjoyed my college experience, mm-hmm. and but I also had the opportunity to graduate early, and I am somebody who, if, if nothing else, I'm I'm efficient. Yeah. And so I saw that, okay, well, I could do this in three years and I could actually just spend a year or two working and just kind of figuring out life. So I graduated and I was 20 and wow. I'd always lived in the Bay. Mm-hmm. I'd always lived in Oakland. Um, and so I, I moved to LA and worked in advertising for a couple of years and I had a great time. I actually did go to several Lakers games. It was when they were winning. Uh, um, yeah, so I, I won't give Kobe too much uh, too much heat, but I, I lived in L.A. I enjoyed it. It gave me a chance to be away from home and kind of learn how to be an adult, mm-hmm. which I wanted. And then after that, I, I went. I came back home, um, got my MBA, and I did probably a year. I worked again for a year in advertising, and mm-hmm. then uh, went and got my MA at UCLA. Mm-hmm. So I went back to L.A. again, mm-hmm. and. Um, I really enjoy it, UCLA. It's a beautiful campus. It's very, very different than Berkeley, like super different. People think all UCs are the same, and each one has their own kind of individual vibe and culture and style, yep. and UCLA is extremely different than Berkeley, <laughs> but um, but in a good way, and I liked it, mm-hmm. And but I knew that I didn't want to stay there forever. Like, I think people are usually bay or la people definitely definitely uh, <laughs> you, you, you get it you yeah absolutely um i think people are bay or la people and what's interesting is i find that most bay people are also new york people like if you like you the bay, adapt. you'll like new york if mm-hmm. you like la you probably won't like new york and vice versa mm. um but yeah i i knew i wanted to come home um i'm i'm my mom's only child Okay. Um, so for me, that was also a big driver was that I wanted to be near family. My husband is also from Oakland. Nice. And so we were, yeah, we met in the eighth grade. And so we oh, decided dope. to move home. Uh, mm-hmm. and I decided to go to law school at Hastings because my grandparents were getting older. My mom was having to do more. And I thought being home would help me, uh, would help me help her. Yeah. And also I knew I just didn't want to settle in LA. And oftentimes when you graduate, or when you're in law school, you do internships in the city in which your school is in. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, live in L.A. And so mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I wasn't even going to be bothered with, like, going through the whole process and then having job offers in L.A. Because I didn't, I didn't really want to live there full time. Okay. Love uh, to visit. <laughs> Don't want to live True. There. Yeah. I mean, it, like you said, fun. you know, it's just definitely, it's just different vibes, man. It's a different life. Mm-hmm. Um, as a... A young African American uh, woman, a double minority, um, working in the in the executive suite. Um, what habits or mindsets did you have to overcome in order to break through, uh, to overcome and have a breakthrough to become who you are today? Yeah, 
That's a good question. Um, I think what what's interesting, it's not necessarily a, I guess it is a mindset, but the mindset I had to break through was, um, I would say the double consciousness. So mm. we've always talked about how there's the double consciousness and you can think about it even with code switching, right? Like mm-hmm. the way I talk to my friends is not the way that I would speak at work right? and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of did away with that. And what was interesting about it is Facebook was really the place where I stopped doing that as much. Mm-hmm. Facebook had a very uh, come-as-you-are kind of philosophy in terms of their employees. Now, mm-hmm. it's come-as-you-are to a certain extent. Like, come-as-you-are, maybe 80%. You don't want to come 90%. <laughs> that's too much. extra 10 like, that's a little, a little <laughs> um, But I distinctly remember in my, in my interview, somebody asked me, like, what did I do for fun? And I told them about how much I like sports. Mm-hmm. And the next interviewer asked me, like, what's something about me that um, that they wouldn't be able to tell by looking at me or, or, like, by the way that I was presenting in that interview. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have, you know, zebra, zebra print toenails right now, and I really enjoy Monday night VH1 lineup. Like, that's, that's my thing. Like, I love all the love and hip-hop. I love... Housewives of Atlanta, like that's what that's what I like. You asked me, hey, you kept it solid. Yeah, and it was funny because the interviewer laughed. The interviewer also had a mohawk. Yeah. So, you know, my thing is, you know, if if he could do it, I can do it too. Absolutely. Um. So for me, it was once I became more comfortable, and I just kind of say, you know what, whatever, I'm just gonna be who I am, and and I let my work speak for itself. Mm Hmm. Uh, things actually started to trend more in that direction for me. It's the more the more I came into my own and the more comfortable I was in my own skin and showing that to other people, mm-hmm. the the more uh, the more things came easily for me in terms of you know once you have a larger comfort with yourself, you you're yeah. comfortable with the work that you produce, you're comfortable with pushing boundaries, you're comfortable with you know asking for forgiveness and not permission. I love it. So what would you say was like the defining moment that really if you can go back even before you had this opportunity at Facebook, what was that defining moment that set you up on the path to be who you are now or that moment where you decided, you know what, I'm going to create my life and I'm just going to live on my own terms? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there was a moment where I, I had interviewed to work at Google in their, in their legal department. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they lost the headcount. And I was so crushed because I was so excited that I had gotten to the end and I got a verbal offer and, and it's Google, right? Like everybody loves Google. Of course. And um, it happened to get, they asked me to come back and interview again. They're like, oh no, this time, you know, we thought you were great. We're going to put you through the process again. Um, and they shortened the interviews because I'd already done one round and then they lost the head count again. Wow. Right. And I said, you know, I, whatever. I'm just going to let this go. I, what What's for me is for me. Clearly mm-hmm. this isn't it. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And my mom sends me text messages of scripture or rap lyrics. Nice. Let's Every go, morning. mom. Every morning still right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I could pull up the one she sent me today. Pull that up um, now. I, I yeah, definitely want to see <laughs> it. And sometimes it depends on her mood. And sometimes it depends on the mood that she is... Uh, that she's reading from me, like what she thinks that I, she thinks that I need. I love um, it. 
but yeah, my mom is is trill. Like she will give it to you straight. Mm-hmm. There have been times when my mom has texted me TI lyrics and like I've asked her at times, like, what do you you know, I'm having this kind of issue today, like what should I do? And she's like, Tamala Man or TI, like which which one do you feel like you need more today? Like what's gonna be the motivator? Mm. But yeah, that's that's my mom. Yeah, the Lord is my light and salvation, whom shall I fear? Okay. Yeah. So that was today's lead off, but what was like, the last rap rap song or rap lyric? I'm just so curious because she's slowly becoming my hero right now. Uh, my mom is. I'll, yeah. tell, I'll tell her. Uh, there was no rap lyric today. What, last week? Uh, yesterday? I, I have to pull it up. I could dig for one. But okay. Yeah, it's usually, it's usually, <laughs> well, she loves T.I. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, Family Hustle was her thing. She had a whole live your life quote last week. Like the opposite of moderate, immaculately polished with the spirit of a hustler and the swagger of a college kid. And she's yeah. Like, this is you. This is you. This is how you should feel today. I'm like, okay. Yo, let's go. Where's she at? Bring her on. Like, <laughs> She's in Oakland. Oh, hey, I'm going to have to come and, and sit down with her. For real, for real. That is hot. What's your mom's name? Linda. Okay. Miss Linda. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the defining <laughs> moment. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was really the defining moment was I, my, my mom texting me those things every morning is really mm-hmm. a good grounding for me. Mm-hmm. And having that experience happen, and she's just like, that's not the one. Mm. Like, if, if something is for you, it, it will come to you. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean you'll never work at Google or that you'll never work in tech. It just means that it's that is not the opportunity for you. Mm. And she always would say, uh, delayed is not denied, which is super true. Mm-hmm. And literally... I think maybe four months after that, uh, I got hired at Facebook Mm. and I wasn't looking. It was just a law school classmate, Mm -hmm. uh, who worked at Facebook already. She was transitioning legal teams and someone connected me to her and was like, Hey, don't you guys know each other? And this role's open. Mm -hmm. Is this what you do? And I was like, Oh yeah, this is exactly what I do. And that's how it happened. Mm. That's powerful. That's powerful. Some things you just shouldn't, you shouldn't force. Like you, I would say always put your best foot forward and always try. But Mm -hmm. if you have to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and try to force something, maybe you should just take a step back and say, okay, is this, is this what I should be doing? Is this a good use of my energy? Right. And at that moment, that trying to keep forcing that role was not a good use of my energy. Mm. You know what? Uh, oftentimes people might uh, see the end result and they see where you are now or they see that you, you know, you got that job at, at Facebook and, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you stopped worrying about Google. Uh, mm-hmm. But they didn't see the challenges that you had to endure in order to be, you know, Barry A. Williams. You know what I mean? Who's this uh, amazing speaker, executive, mother, you know, wife, daughter, all of these things. Can you speak to some of the challenges that you had to overcome? And uh, what were some of the things that helped you to overcome them? Yeah, that, so that episode was, that Google issue was like a huge thing for me. Like I was so distraught. Like, I was depressed about that for mm-hmm. a good two and a half months because I had been wanting to get into tech and it was Google. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Google. They're literally, I mean, there's Google, Facebook. And when was that? That was 2013. So yeah, Google and Facebook were like the the big two. Mm-hmm. Those were the places everybody wanted to work. Amazon. 
Um, but at that point, Amazon was still primarily in Seattle. I wasn't moving there. <laughs> so, <True>. no. <laughs> so, Google and Facebook, that was, that was the thing. And so, to, to get to the finish line twice and think that you had crossed it, mm-hmm. and then someone's like, oh, no, 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 the goalpost moved. Hmm. That was depressing. That was depressing. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, okay, well, did I do something wrong? And did I, what is it that I could have done that was better? And it's like, I could have done anything better. They just lost the head count because it was the end of the year. Mm-hmm. So that's another pro tip. You take, take jobs, if you can, at the beginning of the year because that's when budgets are set. Budgets mm-hmm. are set um, around November, December. Yeah. So that's why hiring tends to start in January. And you want to go when there's a fresh influx of cash and people are not going to run out. Because mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen if you take a job and let's say you accept a job and let's say October, the funding for that job may be called into question at the end of December or mid-December and you won't even know. Mm. So, and maybe it was a blessing in disguise that I didn't get that role because mm-hmm. it was towards the end of the year. And then I found something that, that was for me that spring and that was Facebook. But I would say that that was the hardest thing was wondering, you know, is there something I could have done better? Did I do something wrong? Mm-hmm. And it's, I always am the type that makes a decision and then I second guess it. And I do that all the time whenever I make a move. Mm-hmm. So that is, and I'm a huge worrier. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I think lawyers are just by, I don't know. How do you, sure. how do you counteract that? How do you counteract that? You know, um, um how do I counteract being risk averse or how do I counteract uh, being a worrier? Being a worrier. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I have counteracted that successfully. And it's something that, again, my mom always tries to get me to to come to terms with because her thing is like, you can't worry and pray. You have to pick one. I'm loving your mom. She's everything yeah, she, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's great. She's she's great. But she, that's her thing is like, you can't. Pray about something and then also worry about it. You need to choose to to use your energy one or the other. Mm. I mean, she'll also tell you, you know, faith without works is dead. So don't just pray and do nothing. Mm-hmm. You pray and you do the work, but you choose not to worry. Mm-hmm. And patience is about how you wait mm-hmm. while you wait. And that's that was another big thing that I kind of took from that is that she was telling me, you know, it, it, patience isn't just about the waiting. It's the spirit and the mood that you keep while you wait. And mm. if you have a bad attitude while you're waiting, mm-hmm. you may not be rewarded. Like you need to take advantage of that time, whether that's more preparation so mm-hmm. that when the opportunity does come, you're ready for it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that's directing your energy elsewhere just to something else in that moment. Maybe it's to your family or maybe it's to a hobby or maybe it's, you know, your community. But mm-hmm. you need to keep a good spirit while you wait. Mm. Can you speak to maybe another challenge that was that was major for you that you had to overcome? My very first job in legal, mm-hmm. um, it, I graduated from law school in 2008, mm-hmm. which was like the worst time to graduate from anything and have a job because the economy crashed. Exactly. So um, I had like a, a really interesting uh one, two punch of that. So I graduated from law school. I started, uh, I started working at a firm. It was great. I had interned there the year before mm-hmm. and I liked them. They liked me. I passed the bar. It was great. 
economy crashes. And I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the credit markets dried up, all the work dried up because I worked in Silicon Valley. So everybody is doing, essentially, they were doing deals on credit. Right. And you're looking for VC funds and fund, people were not funding businesses and they were not investing because they were scared. So everybody was hoarding cash. Mm-hmm. So there was a blog called Above the Law. Well, it's still there. It's called Above the Law and lawyers read it all the time. It's got like, you know, industry scandal and, and information and, and rumors. And one of the rumors on there was that this one um, particular office of a firm, which was the firm I worked at, oh, wow. was going to let all of their associates go mm-hmm. because they, weren't, they didn't have enough business. And I was like, oh, man, mm-hmm. is this? Is this my office? <laughs> it was my office. Wow, they didn't list the name though. It was, no, they didn't list the name. Yikes. But it, I, I was reading between the lines of what mm-hmm. the rumor was saying, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, this has to be my office." And it was my office. Like literally two days later, we you could see the partners coming down the hall in twos, and I was like, "Oh, this is not, this is not going to end well." Yikes. And yeah, we all of the first year associates got laid off, and some second year associates, and some third year associates. Mm-hmm. And it was scary Mm -hmm. because it's like, well, what do you do? I don't have enough experience to go, like, get a a new job just yet. Like, I don't know if I could do that. Mm -hmm. And they gave us a, and they gave us an option between here is a severance package, which was basically like, I think three or four months of pay. Um, Or you could go work at a nonprofit, which they would fund for, literally half of the salary that you made for that year Mm. and I was and of course because I'm a worrier and I'm risk averse I was saying oh I should just take this this one year nonprofit job because at least it's secure I know it'll be there even though it's it's not the same amount of money oh and even better my husband and I had bought a house the two days before the partners came and said everybody was laid off wow (laughs) yeah and, and I told him, I'd read this rumor, and we were sitting in the, um, the mortgage broker's office, and I was like, I don't know if we should sign these papers. Mm-hmm. Like, I just saw this today. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, no, we should do it because it's a perfect house. And, um, you know, it was, it, it was cheap because the, the real estate market had started to tank too. So yeah. This is the perfect house. We will never perfect be able time. to buy a house like this mm-hmm. for this price again. And if that happens, we'll just figure it out and make it work. Mm-hmm. And so we did. And I was just like, of course, scared. Mm-hmm. And then two days later, the partners come down the hall and I go home and I was like, well, what do we do? Should I, should I take the severance or should I take the nonprofit job for a year? And he was like, bet on yourself, take the severance. I like this guy. Okay. And what, what happened yeah. next? Well, and I'm sitting in the house. We got right. the house. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the house. So, yeah. Uh, I ended up finding a job within two months. Mm. So With two months we, severance up, ready. Yeah. So it ended up, we ended up mm-hmm. making money yeah. off of it. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. So, it, but it was scary. It was nerve wracking. Would you say that your husband was kind of like your knight in shining armor at that time when he told you to bet on yourself? Because my, my next question was going to be, what gave you that confidence to jump out there even though you felt like you weren't ready for a new job? Yeah, he he was just like, you're smart, you're capable. Mm-hmm. Why would you, Why don't sell yourself short. Mm-hmm. You could do this work, you can do this. Mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't done it long enough. And he was like, just bet on yourself. Yeah. Why are you not willing to bet on yourself? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay. What he's is like, and if you bet on yourself and it ends up not working out in your favor right now, he's like, then just say it was my fault. I'll figure, I will make it work. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. That's okay. I was still scared every day. Because <laughs> that's just not, I'm just not used to having a, I'm a person who has a plan B and a plan C at mm-hmm. all times. So it was weird to be out there and not have the plan B. Yeah. Or at least if I'm going to, if not taking the severance was having no plan B. Mm-hmm. Taking the nonprofit job would have been like, okay, cool, that's the plan B. Right. He was like, no, 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 take the severance. Mm. And also, I was raised to not rely on a man for anything. Even mm-hmm. though he's my husband, it still is very foreign to me because I was raised to be independent and to always have my own money, mm-hmm. to always have my own work ethic. Mm-hmm. And I'm just intrinsically motivated anyway. So I like to be productive and to be impactful. And that was weird for me to like sit and look for a job because it's like well so what am I supposed to do all day does this mean I need to if I'm not working does this mean I need to like make sure that the house is clean every day and that I have dinner on the table like I I didn't know so how did that how did that work out and and how did you figure that out because to me what it is what I'm hearing from you is is that this was a moment of both clarity but also vulnerability for you where you had the opportunity, you know what I mean, to really depend on your husband and see, I would say, a man, because you said you were taught not to ever, you know, depend on a man, to see a man who's your man in a different light as a supporter. Mm-hmm. So how did yeah. that, um, how do you how do you view that type of situation of not depending on a man or anything like that now um, after going through that experience? Yeah, I still wouldn't. I mean, (laughs) I did, but I mean, it's just not, it's not my, uh, it's not my nature. Like it wouldn't, I was never like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good way to even to give an analogy, but I had friends or or acquaintances and people that I knew in college and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Oh, even when I was interning at the Warriors, Mm -hmm. I would see girls and like their entire goal was to, to hook up with a player, to to be to end up getting married or be taken care of and that to me was just never like I, I that was not my thing mm-hmm. no knock to those that are into it but for me personally I always wanted my own career like as, even as a little girl I didn't play house I played office huh. so okay yeah, I never I didn't feed dolls I didn't do any of that I would set my dolls up like at a desk mm-hmm. like they were doing stuff they were working mm-hmm. so been a boss yeah, it just was never, that just was never my thing. So it was mm-hmm. very hard to be that vulnerable and, mm-hmm. and, and also to, to really just have to sit with myself and figure out like, well, what do you want to be when you grow up mm-hmm. and what does that look like and how do you get there? What do you, um, tell me a couple things that you feel like your husband did. Cause of course he understands you and he knows who you are. That, tell me a couple things for the guys who are listening, uh, that you feel like your husband did in order to make you feel safe in that space to, um, to be vulnerable and say, you know what, this is going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Well, I never had to worry about where, how we were doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I never had to question where something was going to come from or if he was going to provide. You talk about I finances at this, at this point. Gener- in all ways. My husband okay. is like 
my husband is awesome. He is, even to this day, like I I was gone for two days at a conference. Mm -hmm. I came back late last night. Mm -hmm. Um, And before that, I was at Afro, well, he was with me at Afrotech on Friday. And Mm -hmm. then Saturday, Mm -hmm. I was at Afrotech. And I never have to worry about if my kids are going to be okay or if they're going to get to their activities or if they're going to be at swim class or if they're going to be well-fed or if they're going to be entertained or if they're going to be stimulated because he does all of those things. Mm-hmm. He is a super hands-on, fantastic father. He does laundry. He cooks. He works full-time. He's actually, so full circle moment, he's actually going to Google um, next month. Mm-hmm. So he ended up getting a role. So he's going, he's going to Google. Mm-hmm. He does all of these things and he still is a very attentive father and husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's a fantastic engineer and, and professional in his own right. So mm-hmm. I never had to worry that any of those things would be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And he also is the same person who, you know, knows when to give me space to let me think through things. Mm-hmm. And also when to say, you need to get it together. Like you need to, you need to come on and, and, and gather yourself. What does that conversation <laughs> look like when you give pushback, when he might be trying to, um, to give you constructive feedback? Or when you might be trying to give him constructive feedback and there's pushback? Mm-hmm. How do you guys resolve, um, how do you both resolve that? Yeah. I think it really depends on what the issue is or what the conversation topic is. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's we can sit and hash it out mm-hmm. and, and it's very respectful. Like I hear your side, you hear my side. This is what I'm trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And other times it might be so contentious where he's like, you know what? You don't get it. Never mind. We're also very different in terms of temperament. Like I'm a hothead and I get super, you know, passionate and excited about things. Mm-hmm. And he is much more reserved. He's an engineer. So, yeah, yeah. He's much more reserved. And he's also a very linear thinker. Uh So things are typically black and white for him. And for me, they used to be for me, too. But as I've gotten older, I see a lot more shades of gray. Yeah. And the way that we even communicate can be different. He's Mm -hmm. also extremely loyal Mm -hmm. um, to the point where he will oftentimes put himself dead last um, to take care of other people or worry about other people's preferences or feelings. And I'm very much, you know, I don't operate that way a lot. So <laughs> I'm trying to better about it, but I'm not, I don't, that's not typically mm-hmm. my, uh, my MO. So okay. that's his default. My default is, you know, okay, well, you know, how, is this is this for the greater good? Okay, well, if it's not for the greater good, how is it going to be beneficial to everybody that lives in our house? Gotcha. So, you know, he's he cares deeply about other people's feelings and that, like, even just talking about telling his team that he was leaving mm-hmm. to go to Google, and he was just so passionate and so like worried about how they would feel and that he didn't want him, he didn't want them to think he was deserting them. He's been at that job for like nine years. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, it's fine. You gave them almost a decade of your life. It, it's it's fine. Mm. Well, you know, speaking of jobs and, and having impact and, and caring about 
others and, and their feelings, you had the opportunity to pitch the supplier diversity program to the CFO of Facebook. And you only had 13 minutes to tell them why it mattered. I mean, 30 minutes to tell them why it mattered. Yeah, but you seen you said that you did manage to convince them in 15 minutes that this is what Facebook should be doing. How did you do that? Um, so I would say it's 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 the same advice I would give anybody when you're presenting something if you mm-hmm. want to be funded is you have to know your audience. Mm-hmm. So you have to understand what are their drivers, what motivates them, mm-hmm. what are the things that help them make decisions and make decisions quickly. Mm-hmm. And for you know dealing with with Wayner. Um, Wayner is a, I mean, he's, he's, he's a CFO, right? He's an accountant. They mm-hmm. like numbers. They want to see data. Right. Also tech is a very data driven industry. Mm-hmm. So he wants to see finances. He wants to see data. Mm-hmm. He wants to see charts. What's, what's the return on investment for whatever it is he's doing mm-hmm. or if there's a cost savings. So it was literally giving him that information Mm-hmm. And, and then also making it very easy for him, put it in five slides and said, here's where we are. Here's where I want us to go. If we do that, here's what it will yield. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, cool. <laughs> yes, maybe two questions. Wow. But that's because you have to know your audience. So you have to give them the information that you know that they want and that mm-hmm. they need to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And you also have to anticipate the questions that they'll ask. Mm-hmm. And then you have to answer them before they ask them. Love it. So he, but he also really just understood the importance of what we call doing well by doing good. Mm -hmm. And it's the business will do well, regardless of whether we did supplier diversity or not. Mm -hmm. But he also understood the strategic impact of providing access and opportunity to communities that look like ours, Mm -hmm. but also um, supported our large internal employee resource group. So that was LGBTQ, that's women, it's veterans, and it's, it was minorities. So this is the Latinx group, Black at, um, and AAIP at, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And he understood that. And it took no more than 15 minutes and five slides. So we were just like staring at each other and like just chatting for the remaining 15 minutes. Mm. I love it. But that's also a testament to Facebook hiring people that get it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't, if this had been a, maybe a different company, a different CFO, I would have had to sell him on the business case of diversity. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to sell very hard. Mm. What inspired you to be so passionate about diversity and inclusion? And, you know, those of the African diaspora being represented in the tech community. Because I saw mm-hmm. in, the, in another article that you were in that you said that it, that diversity, you know, is not just putting more faces in in jobs hiring more people of color you know the inclusion part is also the celebration of those cultures and things like that but what inspired you to say you know what i care about this issue well i think it's i mean it's my lived experience to a certain extent right Mm -hmm. like it's my walk i i'm a double minority um but what's interesting and i don't know if, if we can get it that's a whole other topic about how do you identify Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I identify as black first and then a woman. Mm-hmm. And if you ask another black woman, she might identify as a woman first and then black. But mm-hmm. I feel from my personal narrative and my personal lived experience, if you changed me to, uh, you know, let's say my son, right? Well, maybe not now, because I think it's a completely different generation and things he's exposed to will be different obstacles. 
But if if I were a guy, mm-hmm. I don't feel like the events of my life would largely be that different. So I think that that means that the basis of my experience has been because I'm black. It's not because I'm a woman. Mm. So, but that's me. For an, another woman, it could be, you know, she's a woman first and then black. And a lot of her experience is born out of the fact that she's a woman. Right. Everyone's different. Mm-hmm. But it was understanding that black women are the most entrepreneurial group in the country. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, my dad was an entrepreneur. So it was seeing him own a computer shop. It was seeing him interact with athletes and entertainers when he was in management. And it was understanding how all of those things, uh, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, it's feast or famine, right? Like you <laughs> yeah. eat what you kill. Absolutely. And so some months are great and some months are horrible. Yeah. But it was also understanding that Facebook, as they were moving into hardware as well with Oculus, Mm -hmm. to build better products, more inclusive products, you needed people who had a stake in those products. And those could be your vendors. Mm -hmm. And I had a coworker who who, uh, and I, we were playing Oculus one day. And you can see my hair, I have big, fluffy, curly hair. And at the time, I think it may have been flat ironed. And so she and I were playing and my headset worked fine. Hers didn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's because the headset, the strap could not detect her head. The sensors in the head strap could not detect her head through her hair. Mm. And she's a huge gamer. So the first thing I was thinking was like, well, maybe it needs to be reset. And she's like, no, this is not, it's not set up for somebody with curly hair. And that's a problem because curly hair. Right. So this is clearly not made for me. Mm. And the way that you phrase the argument and the way that I also phrased it to Wayner is it's it's money, right? Like you're going to lose. How much money are you going to lose if mm-hmm. you ship a product that is not inclusive versus if you have an inclusive product that is made for people with curly hair so that they can also play the game? Mm-hmm. Just break it down to green. If you tell people how much money they stand to lose, Mm-hmm. or how much money they stand to make, they will listen. Right. They will listen. Mm-hmm. So it's, to me, it's like, you know, our community drives culture. Right. Period. Definitely. If, if black people say something is hot, it's hot. Ask a Kardashian if you aren't sure. Right. So if we say something is good, it's going to sell. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we are we are constantly creating content, culture, products, services, music, what have you, but we don't own any of the revenue that it generates. Mm-hmm. And we don't contribute to that product and we don't get a piece of that pie. Mm-hmm. To me, it just seemed like a lost, a lost opportunity. And I wanted to fix that. Mm-hmm. And so, the other piece to that is not just black people driving culture. Mm-hmm. But women control, I think, 60% of spending in a home. Mm. So women are making all of the large monetary decisions in a house anyway. Right. So regardless of color. So why would you not want a woman helping you build products? We're the ones deciding which ones we buy. Very true. I, I, I love it. This logic is A1 that you're using right now. In, in this journey, right, because what I would say and what, what some of my mentors would say is that you're fighting a good fight. And the good fight, you know, of trying to be more diverse, 
you know, in Silicon Valley, which is uh, not as diverse, not very diverse. You're, you're fighting this good fight, and sometimes it has to get tiresome. How do you stay motivated on a daily basis? And what do you do? You have any success rituals or things that you do every day to make sure that you know what Bari is, you know, a one. Um, I I say thank you every day. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's a big motivator is just to say thank you for the opportunity. And I say that because, um, you know, my grandmother didn't have this opportunity. My grandmother was a school teacher. I don't, I don't know that if she had, you know, endless possibilities that she would have necessarily picked that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of it is about exposure and access and opportunity. And mm-hmm. I've had of having a mom who hustled to provide exposure and access and opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that encouraged me to go get it. Um, I think the other piece to that is, you know, my, my dad's parents were sharecroppers with third grade educations. And so to me, that is like a huge foundational element. And, and to be completely candid, I didn't, I didn't really know them all that well. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a, a relationship with them, but it wasn't, super close because first off my dad was like one of 12 kids so mm. there were lots of and the, and even just the fact that they had 12 kids is because if you're a sharecropper yeah. you need more people to work the land absolutely so it's just looking at something like that and saying you know it, it, but God mm-hmm. like I, I easily could have been in Vicksburg Vicksburg Mississippi sharecropping mm. But my grandparents moved. Mm-hmm. My dad was in North Richmond, and his personal intrinsic motivation got him from North Richmond to a scholarship at Cal. Mm-hmm. And so to me, it's just having that foundational element of being so grateful for having any opportunity that I could to learn something mm-hmm. and to have the ability and the access to go to school and to have those resources. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not going to squander this. Mm-hmm. It's not going to do it. So what advice would you give to a parent uh, who needs to prepare their son or daughter for the job market of tomorrow then? That's a good question. Um, I would say one cool thing that I did see at Afrotech mm-hmm. was uh, a founder who created something called Scali. And oh, Scali yeah. is you, you, you spend a lot of time looking for um, internships, scholarships, for college, all kinds of things. And this is essentially a portal, which makes it easier. So you kind of input your own profile and, mm-hmm. and it matches you with scholarships that you fit the criteria for. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I applied for college, I had to literally manually look for things that mm-hmm. I could, I was eligible for. Um, and this, you know, will give it to you quickly. And it's awesome. So I would just say, prepare your child and also encourage your kids mm-hmm. to go out and seek new opportunities and experiences, whether that's through travel or through that's, that's an internship or it's a job. I also think to some extent, um, and I'm definitely guilty of it. I just spent like 30 minutes babbling about how risk risk averse and, and worrisome I am. But I think you have to allow your kids a certain element of freedom to explore mm-hmm. and to do that unencumbered. Like, mm-hmm. don't project your own issues off onto mm-hmm. them. 
Like, if you are scared, worried about something, that doesn't mean that your kid is. So you have to give them that freedom to be able to, to explore and find what works for them and what are they interested in, what motivates them. And, you know, I think sometimes we, we're very risk-averse people, but I think for good reason. So we tend to steer kids into be a doctor, be a lawyer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. Some kids are not cut out for that. Some kids want to be engineers. Some kids want to go into the arts. Some kids are, are, you all have different talents. So it's how do you, how do you help your child find that talent? And Mm -hmm. then how do you as a parent support and cultivate it? Mm. And speaking of supporting and cultivating uh, for you, how important has mentorship been uh, on your journey? And have the, have the majority of your mentors been male or female? Does that even matter? Mm -hmm. Um, I think what's interesting about mentorship and sponsorship, I would say sponsorship is, is more important. Mm -hmm. Um, it's the same thing, which is, which is interesting. And a lot of the writing that I've done, particularly about, um, about founders and people who fund them, funders are looking for people that remind them of themselves. Right. And the same is true to a certain extent of mentors and sponsors. People want to see many versions of themselves and however bias or, you know, unfair that that may seem. It's true. So you want to make sure that if you want someone to mentor you or sponsor you, you have to reflect some type of ambition or motivation or eagerness or even skill set that they have. And I would say that, you know, my mentors have been both male and female. Some mm-hmm. of, I've, I've had, interestingly, some really impactful white female and I've had some interesting and impactful black male mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the person who's given me the, the best advice, uh, maybe aside from my husband, has been a, a black male mentor. Um, and he is the general counsel of the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And he's had a very interesting, diverse career. And, you know, he went from tech to sports back back to tech and then back to sports again mm-hmm. and I think Ed you know he told me that no one is, go- is going to advocate for me the way I will advocate for myself mm-hmm. and so if I don't ask for what I think I'm worth or if I don't ask for what I think I deserve nobody else will do it for me mm. and people are not going to just give it to you and you are an attorney so you need to treat everything like it's negotiable hmm. And it's so true. Yeah. It's so true. That's probably the best advice I, I've gotten, yeah. aside from just things my grandmother and my mom taught me. But, I mean, actual business advice, Ed, Ed Goins had that locked down. Like, that's, that's it. Mm. You know, it's funny. One of my friends a long time ago, probably like 10 years ago, he said, people don't get what they deserve. They get what they can negotiate. That's exactly, Yeah. That's exactly what it is. You don't get what you deserve. You get what you can negotiate. And that's why Ed was always saying, like, treat everything as if it's negotiable. Mm. Got you. Don't, ju- and don't ever take the first offer. Mm-hmm. Like, do not take what somebody gives. When, when somebody is giving you, mm-hmm. is giving you their, they're telling you what they think you're worth. Mm. Say that again. And you need, Say that when again. someone gives you the first offer, mm-hmm. they're giving you what they think that you're worth. Mm. And if you accept that, and always know that that's a low ball. Gotcha. 
And so if you accept that, you are saying, yep, I'm not worth more than that. I'm Mm -hmm. not. Don't 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 accept that. Got you. So we're talking about mentorship. There's something else uh, that a friend of mine, Sean Blanchard, says he says friendorship is something that's huge as well. So what does your peer group look like? You know, who are some of the people in in your circle, you know, occupation wise and and things like that? Who's kicking it with Bari and and, and fam? Uh, a, a lot of different people. Um, mm-hmm. I still, of course, I have my day ones. Mm-hmm. So, and everybody's walk is different. Mm-hmm. Um, some are as motivated as me. Some are not. Some some prefer to, you know, put their families first or work-life balance first or they seek validation in other ways. I, I am somebody who fully confesses to find personal validation, the most validation in being impactful as a professional mm-hmm. because I feel like that can, that can leave a legacy that is larger than my family. Mm-hmm. I feel like my family will definitely be my legacy, but I think that there is something greater that I can leave. I would like to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I have some entrepreneurs who are in my circle, some tech founders, mm-hmm. um, some tech funders, some, uh, some stay at home moms, I have a little bit of everybody, and mm-hmm. I think that that actually makes me better. Mm. You take tips from different people, and you learn, you cultivate, you know, your own best self mm-hmm. by getting tips from people who are really good at what it is that they do. What do you think is a common thread amongst this group of uh, diverse people that you have in your life? Everybody is motivated. They're mm. all motivated, but they're motivated by different things and for yeah. different outcomes. Yeah. But, uh, but none of them are slackers. And it's mm. interesting because you could look at someone and say, well, this person is, you know, this, this person is a, a stay is a part works part time or is a stay at home mom. Like, why would you kick it with her? And it's like, because she also shows me how to have more balance in my personal life. If it were up to me, I would probably work all day long and like not do a, a ton of other stuff. Mm. And she's like, no, no, you need to set aside time to do this. Or it's, you know, working with a founder. And then seeing how hard they actually work mm-hmm. because it's for founders. Again, it's feast or famine. You're out there trying to hustle, sell your product to these companies or sell your product to consumers. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, it's, it's other working moms. And then it's figuring out, you know, how, how do you do this? How do you find time to actually take for yourself? What do you do for yourself? And that's always a big thing with, with all of the women that I talk to is, Nobody is good at self-care. I don't think I, I don't think black women generally are good at it. Do you so. think that it's specifically a black woman thing or maybe it's a it's a woman thing or is it a human thing or mm-hmm. I think it's I definitely think it's it's probably a woman thing generally, but I think it's it's especially a black woman thing. And I say that because mm-hmm. I think we um you know, the Sheryl Sandberg book, Lean In, like I was making this joke yesterday, is that like, I don't, I don't know any black women who've had the luxury to lean out. Like, I just, I don't uh-huh. know any. Gotcha. So, I mean, I know two black stay-at-home moms, mm-hmm. but they don't, they never just stayed at home. Like one had a bunch of rental prop. She and her husband had rental properties or investment properties. And what her job was to look after them mm-hmm. and manage them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she stayed home, but she didn't do nothing. Right. There's another mom 
who's at home, but she owns her own travel business and concierge business. So people are like, oh, you stay at home. She stays at home, but she doesn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's we even when we're supposed to be doing nothing, we can't we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So and whether that's taking care of your kids or taking care of your husband or taking care of, you know, older family members or you're super, you know, super into community service, whether mm-hmm. that's through a sorority mm-hmm. or a fraternity or. You know, I think we just as black people are not awesome at it, but I think <laughs> black women are even worse because we're socialized to take care of everybody else first and we're last. Gotcha. Uh, that being said, you're an early riser. 5.15 a.m. between 5.15 and 5.30 a.m. is when you get so up? Actually, actually earlier now. Oh, my um, bad. Yeah, I would say my alarm goes off at 4.37 on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I try to go to the gym on those okay. days. Now, full disclosure, today my alarm went off. I turned that mug off. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Not today. You're entitled but, to it. Uh, yeah. But I, I also been traveling a lot. Like I got in late last night. I was like, yeah, I yeah. can't do it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's important for you to find whatever that thing is mm-hmm. um, for you. And if you, you know, for me, I'm an only child, so I'm used to having some alone time. And the right. gym, getting up that early and going to the gym is the only time when nobody is looking for me. Yeah. So it's like. Work. I don't have to do work at that time. Um, my husband is still asleep. My kids are still asleep. So mm-hmm. I use that time to actually like go sweat it out. And also like the endorphins and like sweating out, getting that aggression out. And you just feel ready for the day. And so, yeah. Okay. What does the rest of your day look like? Like your schedule? If you're in the gym, it, uh, at, you know, not too far after the 437 wake up, then, you know, on a time basis, yeah. like kind of how does the rest of your day flow out? Yeah, it's so basically it's five. I, I, I'm in the gym by five. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm there until probably about six and then uh, come home, shower, figure out like, does everybody have what they need for the day? Just kind of do a cursory glance. Like, does everybody have what they need? Are there mm-hmm. any school projects due? Um, my husband and I have a shared Google calendar, like a family calendar. So I can see if he has any events that night or if I have something that night. Mm-hmm. I've been pretty bad about putting things on it. So he's been lecturing me about that for like the last two months. <laughs> I got kind of, I got kind of lazy about putting, I, I, the calendar was my idea like three mm-hmm. years ago. And since then, like the last three months, two, three months, I've been really bad about putting things on it. Um, but yeah, so it's getting out the house. I'm usually out of the house by no later than seven fifteen. Mm-hmm. And that may change because now my husband is going to Google. And so the way that we set up our schedule, he did the drop off of our kids and I did the pickup. Mm-hmm. And now that's probably going to have to flip because he's going in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Instead of San Francisco, he's going to Mountain View. Mm-hmm. So we have to figure that out. But then it's usually just meetings or it's, you know, is, is there some type of report or presentation due? And then I'm spending time doing that. So it's usually a back and forth of that. Mm-hmm. Um, until about four thirty, and then I usually I try to leave at four thirty to go pick up my kids, mm-hmm. deal with commute, get to my kids by six, mm-hmm. and I get my kids fed, um, baths, you know, read whatever it is we're gonna do for a little bit. They go to bed. I usually log back on at about eight eight thirty, mm-hmm. and then I may work until, you know, I uh, my husband has a collection of pictures of me. Uh, falling asleep on the computer in various ways so 
I would say I work until I go to sleep, but I, it's not planned. Like, I usually just fall asleep with my hands on a keyboard. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. Around what time would you say that is that you usually doze enough? Might be 11. Okay. 11. And then, you know, I have insomnia. So sometimes I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I try to make good use of that time. So mm-hmm. a lot of the writing that I do is happens during that period. Um, may get a good tweet storm or two during that time, too, because I'm usually watching Morning Joe or something and trying to see what your president's up to that morning and okay he's always doing something so got you got you okay yeah. well last question before we jump into the dolphin tank yes Uh-oh. uh what would you say is Bari's superpower and why hmm. i would say my superpower is having a lot of different interests and cultivating those interests so that I could be good at multiple things. Okay. Okay. So, and just really trying to empower other people. I feel like if you are trying to empower other people, you're trying to give other people game that is better in the long run for everybody involved. Mm. Very true. Very true. All right, so, you know, it's time for the dolphin tank now. You ready? You ready to jump in? Oh, I, I guess. <laughs> Don't worry. It's no sharks. You know, the bites aren't, aren't that uh, oh, harmful. You're going to do the Birdman hand rub, which means it's, it can't be that good. <laughs> um, so, here we go. Rapid fire. What's the top tech that you're using to make your life run smoothly? Ooh, DoorDash or Munchery. Anything that's food delivery, like, yeah, I'm all over it. <laughs> so I'm all over it. I I am a Munchery member. Like, that's how much I use Munchery. Mm. That food is good, though. It's, like, really good. Okay. Um, DoorDash, mm-hmm. all over it. Food delivery, hands down. Okay. Favorite quote or model that you live by? Ooh. And um, why? Mm. I think uh, my grandmother all has has so many awesome sayings that she gave me before she she passed. Um, Sorry to hear. I would say prob- my favorite is probably expect what you accept. Ooh. I like that. Yeah. And why so? You teach, you teach people how to treat you. So if you accept trash behavior, that's what people will give you. you. You are not giving them an incentive to do better. There's no reason for them to do better if you accept that. So, and the way that that came about, it's like a, a quick story. I was, I was a freshman in college. There's this guy, I liked this guy and he kept asking me to hang out. And my mom and my grandparents were like, you are not a hangout girl. You are taking me on a date girl. And I was like, well, he's not, I I went home uh, on a Saturday, which was like five miles down the street. And was talking to my grandma about this. Like, oh, this guy keeps asking me to hang out. Like, I don't understand why. And she said, because you don't demand more. And I was like, oh, what? Excuse me? And she said, you, you, because you have done this. I mean, you've hung out. So if that's what you accept, that's what you should expect. Expect what you accept. He's giving you, he's giving you what you are accepting and you're not demanding more. So if you don't demand more, there's no reason that he should do more. And I was like, wow, that's, that was mind-blowing to me. 
So I hear that at 17 and I was like, wow, this is applicable in every area of life. This is work. This is relationships. This is friendships. This is everything. I'm like low key speechless right now. I love that quote, man. That is, that's dynamic. Yeah. All around. I love the story too. Favorite, what's your favorite book? Or the book that's had the biggest impact on you? Ooh. You can name a couple if you need to, because I know you're a big yeah, reader. I'm try- yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. Um, I would say two things that are just recent off the top of my head, because I was really trying to make sense of, like, what the hell happened in the last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, a Colony in a Nation by Chris Hayes. Uh, mm-hmm. It was very good. Um, Between the World and Me, of course, was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually gave that book to my general counsel at Facebook. He and I had a conversation um, and he was asking me about like Mike Brown and how did I feel and like if there, what, what are ways he could educate himself and, and, and do better. And he had a 13 year old son. So I gave him a book and said, the whole premise of the book is that Ta-Nehisi writes it to his 13 year old son. Like you, there may be a parallel there. You should read it. He read that book in a week. I gave it to him on a Friday. He came back on Monday and he had like highlights and post-it notes and questions. And he like, it really resonated with him, which to me was like, it's phenomenal. that's wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. So um, that definitely, I'm trying to think of some others. Mm. The Bluest Eye. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bluest Eye was phenomenal. Um, Kindred, Octavia Butler book, Kindred. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that book. I, I read that book probably every other year. I've, I've read it a hundred times, but I love that book. Um, but yeah, those are some, some, of course, that, that's, I just love that book. Yeah. Um, let's see. I also read a lot of um, biographies mm-hmm. and, and um, history books. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the Loneliness of the Black Republican, one of my one of my good friends wrote that. But it's it's also a really just interesting book to understand how how black Republicans think um, and how they continue to support that party. Because, mm-hmm. um, again, I was trying to understand what happened in the last year. And I just. But, yeah, those are some of my favorites. OK. What are three jewels uh, that you would tell someone looking to create their best life? I would start with um, expect what you accept. Um, what else would I tell someone? Um, I hate to be cliche, but my mom used to always tell me your attitude determines your altitude. Like mm-hmm. if you have a bad attitude, even if you have an awesome skill set, but you have a horrible attitude, like that's that's what will happen to you is you will not get very far. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another thing I I would say. I think you you just have to be find something that you're passionate about and and master that. I think the you want to be careful too that you're not doing a ton of things that where you're you're splitting yourself in so many different ways that you're not really that good at any of them. Mm-hmm. Um so find something that you're passionate about and really invest in that. Mm-hmm. Um let's see. What else would I say? Yeah, yeah. Um, my mom. All, my mom always says this other thing too: is is do what you got to do until you can do what you want to do. Right. Which is 
super true. Um, mm-hmm. But it's and always I think a lot of the, the lesson in that is that don't think that things are beneath you mm-hmm. because they're not. I mean, if you aren't in a position to call shots, then you need to humble yourself mm-hmm. and, and do what it is that you need to do. Uh, trust me, I'm with you. I graduated in the top 10 percent of my business class and found myself as a janitor. Mm-hmm. you know, to, to do what I needed to do in order to get to where I was trying to go to. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that taught me just a huge lesson on humility and uh, yeah. appreciating and respecting everyone. And, yep. You know. Um, I, and you didn't ask for this one, but I also think it's a good thing. Okay. Um, you, and <laughs> when it, my mom says this all the time, when it's everybody else, it's you. And so right. if 10 people are telling you something about yourself, Mm-hmm. It, it's strength in numbers. And mm-hmm. you would do well to heed that advice, um, particularly if they're people that you trust mm-hmm. um, or if they're making observations about why maybe you aren't getting something that you feel that you deserve or something that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, my mom is very good for giving you like a low-key, low-key humbling quote. And she's like, when it's everybody else's you. Yeah. Like if five people are saying this is, probably some merit to it you might want to investigate your mom is the oracle (laughs) clearly she has a lot of numbers hey (laughs) hilarious powerball numbers real quick asap (laughs) what uh so what's next what's next for barry barry a williams esquire and tech enthusiast executive i I don't know it's a good question um I'm in a very interesting season mm-hmm. in life where I'm trying to figure that out. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. And it's being in a business world has been interesting. Mm-hmm. It's been really, really different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been advising three companies, but in a legal capacity. And what I found is that I really miss being in the law. Mm-hmm. So it's really Know, figuring out wh- which is my which is my happy place is it law or is it business or is it trying to find some hybrid of both and if I did what does that look like mm-hmm. so it's really trying to sit and do the work that I was just telling you to do about yeah. how to design your best life is what is what does mine look like mm. gotcha mm-hmm. yeah. oh, okay so I think what's, what else is next probably more writing mm-hmm. more writing on on tech and um, inclusive innovation. How do you design products with us in mind? Mm-hmm. Um, and what happens when, what are the ramifications if that does not happen from a monetary perspective? And also how could tech be used in nefarious reasons against us? Gotcha. So how do, uh, how do the listeners in the Create Your Life series family uh, stay in contact with you? Social media, any, yeah. any way? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I'm very much on Twitter. Um, okay. <laughs> Barry A. Williams, all one word. Um, that's my Twitter handle. B-A-R-I, right? Yes, B-A-R-I-A-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S. Okay. So that's my Twitter handle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that same all one, all one word, I suppose, mm-hmm. is also my website. So barryawilliams.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, Barry, thank you so much for being on the Create Your Life series. Like, you dropped so many jewels about everything, you know, from being in a relationship to, you know, your journey to becoming a lawyer to just being an all-around dynamic reader and writer and just woman of perseverance. Thank you so much. Thank you.
Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and we are here with our guest, Ms. Bari A. Williams, and it is time for the turnaround. If you don't know what the turnaround is, it's when our guest gets to ask me any three questions that she chooses, and I have to answer them. So, Bari, are you ready for the turnaround? Oh, yes. Yikes. Oh, yes. Yikes. Oh, yes. I've asked you a million questions, and now the tables are turned. I'm ready, I think. Birdman hand rub. Not cool. <laughs> Not cool. Um, <laughs> what is, who is your favorite rapper of all time? Tupac Shakur. Ooh, yes. Okay, now I got to follow up. Um, what's your favorite Tupac song of all time? That is a hard question. Yeah. See, there's the wow. No, you can't do that. Ah, I just did. My favorite Tupac song. See, this Tupac himself just made me feel empowered to be black. Mm-hmm. You know that one song. I think it's me against the world. He says, "Even a genius asks questions." That to me is one of the most powerful lines in a song ever. I felt that he's a genius. Um, definitely hardworking. Um, original. I, I, I literally know probably most, if not all of his songs, but most of them by heart. I honestly. So pick your favorite. I'd have to see okay, a the list. Top three, then the top three. Uh, I have to see a I list. Give you two more. Top three. I know. And not even in order. Just top three. Crazy. Hmm, okay. Um. I wonder if Heaven Got a Ghetto. See, I don't. These ain't favorites. These are just songs that I like. I wonder if Heaven Got a Ghetto. Um, to my unborn child, keep your head up. That was actually my class anthem. Like our high school, each class had a theme song. That mm-hmm. was our class theme song. Yeah. Marvin Gaye used to sing to me, had me feeling like black was the thing to be. I mean... It just, for me as a soundtrack, I could relate to so many of the lyrics um, deeply, you know, and and coming from poverty and being in foster care and, you know what I mean? Like, it was just, I could just relate to him. So I don't necessarily have a particular song, but it's just his catalog I can really relate to. Um, You got two more. My favorite color is gray. And it was funny that you was talking about it earlier. Uh, My favorite color is a non-color. I just think of it like, you know, you think in a gray you know what I mean? A lot of creative things and dope stuff happens in the gray area. Plus, being a fashion major in college, uh, fashion and business major, to me, gray complements so many different colors and stuff like that. So, and I just think it's cool that it's a non-color. It's the combination of the two. So, yeah, that's my life. <laughs> you got. You got it. You got one more though. <laughs> Um, coming to America or Boomerang? Wow. 
for me, Boomerang. I would say Boomerang. Uh, Eddie Murphy almost had me want to be an ad exec. So I would I would have to vibe with that. Coming to America was cool, but uh, yeah, I I never really understood the hype. I I don't I that I don't understand. What do you mean you didn't understand the hype? What what? Why is this movie so important? Like, I don't I. Why I mean it's an important movie. You know what I mean? I guess for the culture, but to me it, it wasn't nothing really crazy. But I've never really sat down and watched it. I'll have to admit that too. Okay. So if you never sat down and watched it. I mean, I've seen it, but I haven't, like, I didn't break it down and try to analyze it. I'm like, all right, you know what I mean? Like, there's, you know, I don't know. So then, okay, here's another one then. Then Boys in the Hood or Menace to Society? What's the question? Which one do I relate to more? Or. Same question as the last one, which boomerang or or coming to America and you you know you Boys in the Hood or Menace to Society. Mm-hmm. I mean you rolling with O Dog or Trey. Or Doughboy, rather. Huh. Doughboy was the O Dog equivalent in that movie. I feel like Old Dog was more of a savage though. Yes. Um I don't know. I I say so here's the thing, I could, while you see both in the community and the hood, I think that the situation with Doughboy and his brother was very tragic. I mean, it was it's not common. Like, I remember about to go to college and there was a cat from Richmond, matter of fact, who had just got a scholarship and he was literally getting out his car to go into the house and somebody came and shot him in the head. So they bust his head, right? You know what I mean? He's about to go to school the next week. Mm-hmm. So um, th- while those movies are reflective of environments and environments that, you know, I've grown up in, I can't, I'm not going to favor them, one of them. Because I just, I don't want to say that one of them is my favorite. But I, I can understand the point of views from both. And, you know, the cat being, you know, cats just being savages. And I feel like a lot of times we end up becoming products of our environment because nobody gives us the exposure. And it's just, that's all, that's the only options that we see. And, you know, I see that a lot, you know, when I go home. You know, for me, three weeks ago, my brother got shot in the head in front of the house. Right? So it's one of those situations where it's kind of like, you know, you got to do, like you said, you know, your best to try to empower others and stuff like that. But you also, like you said, when you, you know, you need to do your, your fitness and what was it, what's it called for law? When you got to do Again, what's the what? What's it called for law when you got, before oh, you take. Huh? Oh, oh, character and fitness. So right. You got to so, make sure that that's on the up and up. But you see how you have to distance yourself. So unfortunately, sometimes you got to distance yourself and then you got to come back. It's like that Jay-Z line. You feel me? I can't help the poor from one of them gave back, you know, Guy Rich gave back. And so that's the win-win. And so, unfortunately, you got to take those uh, those routes from time to time. Yeah, yeah. So I totally know. get it. Yeah. So I don't know. Yep. Well, good. <laughs> I mean, you still you can give me like a favorite pop song, but you know, I'll, I'll take. It. <laughs> What's your favorite pop song? Ooh. 
don't know. Oh nah. Um, oh, you better have one. You gotta you, you gotta have one. I don't know. There's so many. And what's interesting to me is like how many people are like, oh yeah, the All Eyes on Me album was the best. And I'm like, actually, Me Against the World was the best. Me Against the World album. was the best. Well, it's one of the best. I, I have to um, go back and listen to them all over. bit. Yeah, I mean, everything I like, I, you have Dear Mama, you have Temptations, you have Me Against the World, you have Me and My Girlfriend. Like, all of, I, just, I don't know, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, which is my favorite. But I just, I like, I think I can take that Pac more seriously as a holistic individual on mm-hmm. that album. Mm-hmm. I felt yeah. like All Eyes on Me was like, a caricature right he was so, just so smart that it was it's, it's almost a bit disappointing yeah, was, was playing games like I, I get that he has to play a role to a certain extent and he was and he probably was super juiced because he's fresh out right but a lot of that was not the real him mm-hmm. um and as much as i hated that movie what i did like was the back end when they showed him trying to figure out how to leave suge and do his own thing Oh, okay. Got you, got you, got you. You talk about the All Eyes on Me movie. That movie was, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I appreciated how them showing that ending where it's like he was trying to figure out how he could leave and be more of himself and also do more acting and not, <clears throat> excuse me, and not, you know, this caricature party rap. Because mm-hmm. that wasn't him. So Coming to America or Boomerang? Or Boomerang? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> what did you say again? Which which was your choice? Doesn't matter. No, I'm just curious. I don't remember. I, I know. You, so you it's understand. coming to America. Well, you didn't understand coming to America. Coming right? to like America or Boomerang. <laughs> so coming to America is like my favorite movie of all time. Okay. Um, but Boomerang. The older I get, the more. I relate to Boomerang because mm-hmm. it's like takes place in the workplace and relationships and how do you deal with them. And then I probably use more quotes from Boomerang than I do from coming to America at this point. Also, I tried to show um, coming to America to my seven year old and he didn't get <laughs> like 90 percent of like he was like, I don't understand why this is funny. But nice. it's also super dated. Right. Like it was 87. So he yeah. doesn't get Jerry curls. He doesn't get. Yeah, you know, he he just doesn't get it. Got you, got you. But I do have a Soul Glow T-shirt, and I have a Watson World Tour shirt, <laughs> and um, and I have a Zamunda flag shirt. I would actually rock one of those. Hold on, so Prince or MJ? Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, which is funny because both my kids love. Michael Jackson. Um, but I saw Prince. He came to Oracle mm-hmm. in Oakland and he performed like maybe three weeks before he died. And we went. I bought, ended up buying tickets that night mm-hmm. on a whim. Mm-hmm. So I would say... Oh, man. That's hard. Prince got out there and did his thing with a piano and a microphone. I don't think Mike could do that. Mike needs fireworks. And dancers. I'm just saying. Um, I'm gonna go Prince. Okay. Boys, Boys in the Hood or uh, Menace. Boys in the Hood. Why? I feel like I know more Trey's and Ricky's than I do 
Kane and O-Dogs. Hmm. And so I guess that story probably just resonates with me more because I, I feel like I know them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Cool, cool. I know some Doughboys too, but I know more more Kane and uh, less Kane. I know more Ricky and Trey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for being on the Create Your Life series. This concludes the turnaround. Thank you. Nah. It was fun. Nah, super fun. You're I'm funny. More questions. Wait, what else you want to ask? More debates. Oh man. Um, do, are you are, football or football or basketball? Basketball. I play basketball, Clark. But I mean, in terms of watching, which you prefer to watch, still the same answer. Uh, yeah, but I don't really watch professional sports like that too much. Okay. Um, do you watch college? Mm-mm. Not really. No? I just be working. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um. Ooh. Um. Favorite flavor of red Kool-Aid? Because you know, red is a lot. Of Cherry. Things. Easy. Yes. Easy. Virtual high five. The people that, yeah. The people that are like, oh, strawberry. I'm like, who raised you? I'm trying to figure out where you found that. I've never even heard of strawberry. Oh, you haven't? I've seen, I've, so I've seen strawberry, watermelon, cherry, fruit punch. And I've had people say strawberry and fruit punch. I had one person say watermelon. I was like, that's technically not even really red, but whatever. But... Yeah, I, oh, I forgot I, about I fruit punch. Like, no, it's cherry, bro. Why are you out yeah. here voting for strawberry? And, what does that put no. your life? What are you doing? Who are you? Yeah. Talking about some strawberry Kool-Aid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. 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 Create your life.